Well, hello, everyone. Hey, it's great to be together. Tonight, we're going to be teaching um, Exodus chapter 20. And uh, I'm excited because we're going to be uh, learning about the Ten Commandments. Now, obviously, I'm not Moses. I'm not Charlton Heston, but I'm going to try to do my best to explain the Ten Commandments. I do want to dive right into the text. Today, there is a lot to cover. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to go ahead and read. And please feel free to follow along. Exodus chapter 20 in verse 1. And the Bible says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now stop right there for a second, because this chapter begins with a critically important statement. Right here, God says that it's the Bible says that God spoke all of these words. And the Bible is making it very, very clear that it was God who spoke these words into existence, not Moses or not any other human being. It was God. God is the source of all the words that we will be reading today, which are known as the Ten Commandments. And these first two verses, they really serve as like an introduction to the story or the preface to the covenant. Remember what a covenant means. It means an agreement that governs a relationship. And so these first two verses... They, they come into us and they, they give us a great introduction as to what we're going to be studying. But God once again reminds them at the beginning here of their past. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Now, it, when we think about God reminding us, you're going to see this theme repeated over and over throughout the Old Testament. It's just one of the things that God does. He loves to remind us of who he is and how he feels about us, that we are his treasured people, that he delivered us, that we saw the miracles, that he's always thinking of us. One of the first things I learned as a baby Christian was to always be thinking about the presence of God. Like, what's that? Presence of God is knowing that God is always thinking about you. And so we should always be thinking about him. And so God begins with this reminder of who he is and who we are. And look, we shouldn't be surprised by that because we like to remind our children of the important things. We say things like, don't forget your gloves on a cold day. We say things like, don't you dare forget to call us, right? Or we say, don't forget your wallet. That's probably more for us big kids. (laughs) Don't forget your wallet. But It's good to be reminded of the important things. And that's what's going on right here. It's good to reflect back on where we've been spiritually in our walk with the Lord, both good and bad. It really is a great thing to to reflect back and think about all the lessons learned, to think about all the ground that's been covered, to think about the mistakes that were made. Because while doing that, it helps you to understand the way forward. You're reminded not to make that mistake I made in the past. And that's really what's going on here. So the first two verses really serves as the preface to the covenant. Now, these next verses, uh, 3 through 17, gives us the principles, the Ten Commandments. So let's go ahead and read the entire section, verses 3 through 17, and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. 
but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take my name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished, who who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do, and, and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or, your, or the sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's so interesting right here how God takes all of life and he breaks it down in these 10 different sections, or, or in this case, commandments. But I don't know if you realize this, that the 10 commandments themselves can be, can be divided into two separate sections, almost like two separate tablets, if you will. The first four commandments, they focus on the relationship with you and God. It's vertical. My relationship with the Lord God, vertical. The second six commandments, they focus on your relationship with other people. It's horizontal. You'll see this more and more as we go on. But the question comes when you think about the Ten Commandments, knowing that there's two sections, the vertical one, focus on God, the horizontal one, focus on other people. Which section is more important? It's a good question. One I want you to really think about. I think for all of us in the church, we would say, well, they're all important. They're all together, collective, the most important thing. Well, I would say this. If that is true, if all of them are so important, let me ask you, how many of them could you name without looking? That's a good question too. How many of them could you really name without looking? For the majority of Americans... Even in the church, the Ten, Commandment, the Ten Commandments aren't in stone. No pun intended. There was a poll done by USA Today. And in this poll, it was kind of a funny poll. Uh, it's kind of a strange poll, but it was a very revealing poll. In the poll, it said that 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. But memory isn't the problem. Because there are things that we do remember. The pulp kind of brings them out. And again, it's some of the things are kind of funny. Um, for instance, 74% of Americans can remember the names of the three stooges. Right now, that should probably be higher. Larry, Curly, Ann, and Mo. We know that. 35% of Americans can recall all six kids' names in the Brady Bunch. Well, when I tried to do it, I, I got four right off the bat. I struggled with the fifth. I, I still don't think I remember the second girl. I, I don't remember her name. And then there was this other one that was kind of funny. 25% of Americans can name all seven ingredients on McDonald's Big Mac. Now, I think that probably should have been higher because we can't get that 
silly little tune out of our head. You remember how it went? Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That probably should have been higher, but here's the sad news. Only 14% of Americans can accurately name all 10 commandments. And yet 78% of all Americans favor the public display of the 10 commandments. And that doesn't compute to me because I ask myself, why is it that us in the church, we get so worked up when we see on the news that the 10 commandments are being taken out of the public square? We get all fired up. We want to protest. We we're very vocal about it. they're taking the 10 commandments out of the public square and we get all crybabyish about it. But, but the real problem is this. Is it the fact that the Ten Commandments are being taken out of the public square or that the Ten Commandments are being lost from the tablets of our own hearts? That's the scary thing for me. I'm so glad that we're taking a little time now to review the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, verse three. You shall have no other gods before me or, or besides me. Um, it means in opposition to me or in my presence. God is just simply stating the obvious. He's saying, look, there are no other gods besides me. There are no other things besides me. Anything else that people have been worshiping is fake. Look, all this talk about fake news, this is the real fake news. There are no other gods besides me. This is what God is stating, the obvious. Worshiping any other thing besides him is, com is a complete and an utter farce. It's what God is saying. Commandment number two, verse four. You should not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Man, what, what an intense commandment we have right here. God is saying, look, don't make me into something I'm not and then worship it. That's all he's saying right here. He's saying, look, there is nothing on this planet that you can compare me to. There is nothing that you've ever seen that is like me. Nothing you can compare me to in nature or conjure up in your imagination. God says this, he's saying, the Bible will tell you what I am like. My word will describe me. The word shows us his attributes. It's not a physical shape, but his attributes that the heart of the Lord is mercy. The heart of the Lord is love and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is explained in God's Word. God's Word is saying, I will tell you who I am. Don't invent me. And most importantly, please, please, please do not craft me out of wood or metal or plastic or ceramic. I love Psalm 115. And David kind of plays with this idea of people creating God's out of material things. He says in verse 3 of Psalm 115, and I love the way the message version words it. It says, Our God is in heaven doing whatever he wants to do. Their gods are metal and wood, handmade in a basement shop. 
carved mouths that can't talk, painted eyes that can't see, tin ears that can't hear, molded noses that can't smell, hands that can't grasp, feel what they can't walk or run, or I'm sorry, feet that can't walk or run, throats that never utter a sound. Those who make them have become just like them. They've become just like the gods they trust. It's so so intense right here. He's saying uh, they're fake. They're artificial. They're plastic. The worship of God was always intended to be spiritual, not material. Do you see what I'm saying, church? And I love right here that he slips in where God says, I am a jealous God. Now we think of this word jealous sometimes in the wrong way. He's not talking about being a jealous God in the sense of envious. Because look, what's there to be envious of? I'm the only one, God is saying. There are no other gods besides me. But instead, the word jealous is expressing his love, his zeal, his passion for his treasured people. We're a treasure to him. He, he loves us because he, and he also wants the very best for us. That's what he means when he says, I'm a jealous God. Look, we are zealous. We are jealous in a way for our children and our spouses because we love them, because they're a treasure to us and we want the best for them. In scripture, idolatry, which is what this is talking about, is equivalent to prostitution and adultery. God is saying, don't, don't cheat on me. Don't go out on me. God desires and deserves an exclusive love by his people. The uniqueness of God requires a unique devotion. Amen. Covenant number three, or commandment number three, verse seven. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. So, so what does that mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Does that mean swear words, you know, or, or using Jesus's name as a cuss word? You've seen that. You've heard that. Where people actually say Jesus's name in place of a curse word. It, it bothers me to the 10th degree every time I hear it. But before we answer the question, what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? Let's look at a few other translations first. So in, in the New American Standard, the Bible in which we use, it says, the, the, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In the NIV, it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. In the message version of the Bible, it says, no using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. So, the answer to the question is all of the above. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord in a swearing, mocking, silly, nonsensical way. The name of God should be honored. The name of God should be protected. Commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day, it says, and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now look, 
first and foremost, the Sabbath day was a day of rest and reflection. That, that much is very clear from the scripture itself. You read in Genesis, God makes it very, very clear that the Sabbath day was a day of rest and reflection. That's super clear. And the word Sabbath in Hebrew is Sabbat, and it means to cease. Why? Because God worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, the work ceased. He, he rested. Why? Was God tired? I mean, did he get super wore out from that fifth and that sixth day? So much so like I could barely lift my arms. No, it wasn't that at all. He rested because he was done. He was just, it was complete. And maybe God was just setting an example for all of us. God, God knows us. God knows how he was going to create us. He knows our bodies that they wear out. He knows that there needs to be a time to refresh and to rest and to reorient our hearts, our minds, our lives on God. And so God rested on the seventh day. This day was set aside to honor God. But the question comes, so Tom, does, does the Sabbath apply to us today in two, the year 2020? Well, look, remember this. The Sabbath is part of the covenant that God gave to Israel. He gave it to Israel, but I think that the best New Testament passage that speaks on to how you and I are to relate to the Sabbath in based on a New Testament understanding is second or, or Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through 17. Let's just uh, listen while I read this. Colossians 2 verse 16. It says this, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. This, these things, it says, are a shadow of what is to come. The Sabbath was a day of rest. But today, Jesus is our rest. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. It is in Jesus that we truly find rest. And this is why of, that of all the Ten Commandments that have been listed here in the Old Testament, this is the one commandment that is not repeated in the New Testament for the church to keep. The Sabbath is a principle, though, that I think is a good one. It is a principle that I keep personally, and I am personally a big fan of. I, I like what Paul said. When it comes to things like this, Paul said one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. For me, it's just a personal thing that works for my family. It works for me and it works for Emily. And it works for Bailey. We, we love our Sabbath day. It's that day where we do special things and we really focus in on each other and we focus in on God together, but we are not to judge one another, it says. I'm not to judge you if you do not keep a Sabbath day, nor do we want to be judged for keeping a, a special day. We find God in our rest and we find rest in our God. Shabbat Shalom. Commandment number five. It says, honor your father and your mother. 
that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, if you read that really fast, it kind of sounds like a threat, right? Like, like, listen, kid, respect me or die. That's what it kind of sounds like when you first read it. But please understand that this promise was directed to Israel as a community. It was never directed at a single person for punishment. Uh, people have, have misinterpreted that. It wasn't a threat. Now, it, it may have been a threat for you, when you were younger and you th- and you lipped off to your parent, but that isn't the intent, the intent of what God is saying here. God is saying, if there is a respect between youth and the parents, then that will facilitate a blessing in the land that I am going to give you. This is what God is saying. Talking about the respect between youth and, and the parents, the community of Israel. Everyone can apply this command. And you should, because all of us have parents. Commandment number six, pretty simple, pretty short. You shall not murder. But yet I want to touch base a little bit on this commandment. You shall not murder. First of all, the word is murder, not kill. The old King James Bible translated it as thou shall not kill. And that led the Quakers and other Christian groups to conclude that all killing is wrong and it led to a doctrine of of refusal to fight in wars or a teaching against capital punishment that's just incorrect it says the word is thou shall not murder the bible teaches murder and murder is defined as the unlawful premeditated taking of another person's life now if you want to have a debate as to the definition of unlawful or premeditated, we can talk about that all day long. That's fine. But I'm not, I'm not defending sinful man. I'm not defending sinful world leaders if indeed that's the case in certain situations. But God has entrusted to the civil authorities, he's given them the authority to righteously defend our nation and also capital punishment. In fact, Capital punishment is not only allowed in Scripture, but it's prescribed. Genesis 9 teaches us that whoever sheds blood by man, his blood be shed. The responsibility, though, has been given to the government. You may think, well, I think way too highly of life to ever approve of taking a life. Now, wait a minute. Asking a person to pay the ultimate price for taking another person's life shows the greatest respect for human life. Just know for a fact, though, that the Bible definitely teaches capital punishment. Commandment number seven, verse 14. It's another simple one. You shall not commit adultery. I think we all know what that means. It's defined as sexual relations outside of a marriage. Here God is he's protecting the institution of marriage within Israel. God is saying, look, marriage is is special. Marriage is sacred. He reminds us that the marriage vows are to be kept and that they're not just words that you say or words that you have read. They are to be kept. They are to be honored. God is building a fence around the sacred uh, idea of marriage. Commandment number eight, another simple one, you shall not steal. God is establishing a command so that men would respect other people's property. In other words, thievery is never, ever permissible. Commandment number nine, 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Look, God hates lying. That's just the bottom line. He hates it. It, it, the, The whole commandment is based on the character of God because God loves truth. Therefore, God hates deceit. God hates lying. God hates falsehood. In fact, this commandment ranks way up there on God's top 10 list of things that he hates. If you remember in Proverbs 6, in verse 16, God lists, or the uh, David list, actually, I don't know who listed it um, as far as who wrote it, but we know that it is inspired by God. And it says that there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven that are an abomination to him. So it's interesting that of all the things that God hates, two of the things listed in this list have to do with lying. This is what it says, verse 17. So seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, the hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Two of the things that God hates the most is lying. A lying tongue, a false witness who utters lies about someone else. Now the last commandment, commandment number 10. This is a very interesting commandment. And it says in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. To covet means to to wish to have the possessions of other people. But it goes far beyond just, I see that person's new car and I wish I had a new car like that. It goes far beyond that, uh, um, thinking that you would like something like another person's possession. Instead, it's like, I want that one. What makes this commandment or this, this sin so evil is that you don't want one like it, you want his so that he won't have it that's why it's so crazy to think about coveting another person's wife because you would want her not a wife like her you would want his or his house and so this covenant or this commandment excuse me is one that we really need to pay attention to you may have you may not have noticed this but this 10th commandment is different from all the other commandments in this way the other commandments, they, they focus, they deal with the outward actions. But this 10th commandment deals with the inward attitudes, sins of the heart. You don't see those. These are called sins of omission. The, the heart is the birthplace of pride and anger and attitude. These are the things that aren't obvious These are the things that you don't see on the everyday person. And Jesus warned very, very harshly about this. In fact, James wrote in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? They come from right here. This commandment is so important. Jesus addressed it many times in in, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But this this commandment, it serves as a general safeguard against so many other sins, particularly commandments six through nine, murder, adultery, stealing, lying. If we could just get this commandment down pat, then we wouldn't struggle 
with commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9 because anger, which leads to murder, begins right here. Co being co coveting other things leads to stealing, leads to adultery. Do you see what I'm saying here? This is such an important commandment because I think especially for Christians who know about the outward sins are often hidden about the inward sins. Again, pride and anger. We, we have to always be looking at these things. In verse 18, we move on and it says, All the people perceived the thunder and lightning, lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may, may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Now, verse 20 is very interesting right here because it says in it, Moses says in the same breath to the people, he says, don't be afraid because the Lord has come to test you so that the fear of him might remain with you. Wait, what? Like, didn't you just tell us not to be afraid? Now you want the fear to remain with us? So what's going on here? Well, what exactly is, is, is he saying? At the beginning here, the response of the people gathered before the mountain of God was fear and awe. And, and who could blame them? I mean, seeing all these things, hearing these things, it made you tremble. They recognized the mighty power, the majesty of God so much that they wanted Moses to go before them to listen to God because they're like, God is freaking us out. He's scaring us. And they wanted Moses to go before because they're thinking in their minds, he might destroy us. Now, Moses, he assures them that the purpose of this display, this display of God's power, this display of God's holiness was to test their reaction to him. Fear of him, would the fear of him help curb their disobedience? For a while it did. We know that there is that thread of fear in all things that keep us from doing things that would hurt us. But we know that doesn't last long. We know in just several chapters down the road, they're going to be doing something very ungodly. They've forgotten all about the fear of God. God was about to teach the people his law. And since the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, well, these people must have all been geniuses because they, they, they were incredibly afraid. Moses must have been a scholar because even he was afraid. The Bible says that he trembled back in Hebrews um, chapter 12 and Deuteronomy 9. So they push Moses forward and he goes before the Lord and we see in verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. You shall, but you shall make an altar of earth for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not, you shall not build it of cut stones. 
For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And you shall go up by you shall not go up by my steps to the altar, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Now, why did God give them all these specific directions for building an altar? Think about that for a minute. Why did God give them specific directions for building the altar? Obviously, they had never really done this before. They didn't have traditions to rely on. But God did not want the place of worship, the altar, the location to be the focus. God wanted the sole focus and their attention of worship to be on Him. You know, I, I, I look at beautiful, big churches oftentimes in amazement. I, I admire our own building. It's beautiful. It has a lot to offer. There's cathedrals and there's chapels all around this world that would just make your mouth open in awe. We, we get focused on the architecture sometimes of a church. Or we get consumed by the lighting and the fog and the sound system and all the different things that churches are doing nowadays. And we go, oh, I love the carpet. We love all these things. But if we are not careful, if we are not cautious in how we think of these things, we can be more proud of the facility than we are our God. And God just wanted a pile of dirt and rocks that were uncut and piled up. It was just that simple. It was a lesson that he was teaching them. Because listen, whenever something is fancy, human nature is to think it's special. And that's not the case with God. God is, is the special thing. God should be the focus of all things. Not anything that we make with our own hands. You see what I'm saying? Now, just a final word as we close out about sacrifices. Talks about all the sacrifices that they bring to the altar. All of the sacrifices since the beginning of this time. Anytime there was a sacrifice, they were always pointing to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifices. Sacrifices were, giving, were given as a substitute for the worshiper's sin. But understand this, a sacrifice could never take away sin. They were given as a cost. It, 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 you had to pay something for forgiveness of your sin. But God is teaching all of us, and it was teaching them that sin, not only did it have a price, but that Jesus paid the full cost of our sins. So today we enjoy the knowledge and the fact that Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. We don't have to sacrifice an animal. We don't have to get bloody because Jesus Christ did all of that for us. So for many people out there, you may be thinking, I've done too much. I, I don't know if I could be forgiven. I mean, no wonder you church people can because you haven't done anything. Look, it doesn't matter what you have done doesn't matter how much you've done it. All sin is sin. And Jesus went to the cross for each and every one of us and each and every one of those sins. He paid the full price for all of our sin. So thank you for your time. Um, we love you and we look forward to seeing you next week. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. And 
Father, we thank you that your message is powerful. Father, we pray that um, these commandments truly would be engraved on the tablets of our hearts and we would, not be, we would not be quick to forget them. Father, forgive us for the ways we've just let them go by the side because they haven't truly been important to us. Father, help us to speak of them, to be proud of them, and to shout them from the mountaintops, Lord. We love you and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Well, have a blessed day, everybody.